day, as you know, when you walked in, you probably smelled it. Um, and that is good that we are in the movie series, and we normally do popcorn for every Sunday, but we, we kind of took a break for the first couple because we had Mother's Day and, and graduation Sunday and all that stuff, but now we're, it feels like we're really in because we got that theater popcorn smell. And so we are in the movie series, and, um, but what I want to do is I want to start by showing you a set of pictures, and these pictures are uh, of bridges, and I want to see if you kind of know. So if you know what this bridge is, feel free to shout it out. If you don't, that's fine. Just look at it and go, huh, I don't study bridges. That's cool. Uh, I get it, you know. Uh, maybe I'm just weird that way, but whatever. Uh, but this first bridge, uh, anybody know what bridge is this? Golden Gate, yeah, it's probably, in fact, I found out this is probably the most photographed, perhaps the most famous bridge in the world. Uh, I didn't know that. I know it was pretty famous, but Golden Gate Bridge. And as we know, it expands, as you can see underneath it, it goes across a huge body of water, which is a strait which connects the San Francisco Bay to the uh, Pacific Ocean, okay? And so that's why it was built. Now, let's go to the next one. This one's not as well known. Anybody know what this one is? Anybody know what this one is? This is actually the tallest bridge in the world. If you measure from the bottom of the tallest pillar to the top of the bridge, this is the tallest bridge in the world. It's actually called the Miu Viaduct, and it's found in France. And, uh, and what you notice is some of you are like, yeah, I want to go there now, right? You're ready to visit. Some of you are like, absolutely no way am I going across that thing. Uh, for me, I get excited about this kind of stuff. Like, you know, it's just one of those things. But this is the Miyuvaita, and you can see it doesn't cross a lot of water, but it crosses a huge valley, a huge expanse that's very steep. And so that was the purpose of, of it being built. But on, not all bridges are like that. I want to show you one more, this one. Uh, this is called the Magdeburg Water Bridge. It's actually found in Germany, and it is a bridge. It's, it, it is a bridge, but it's actually designed to hold water, and so it's like a canal, but it's not a canal because it's a bridge. It's actually elevated above the roads, and, and this, is, this is a real deal thing. You can go see this in Germany. It's called the Magdeburg Water Bridge. But as you can see, what it is, it's trying to get across land and so that ships can connect from one body of water to another. So here's why I start by showing you these pictures. I want to ask you this question. You don't have to answer this one out loud. I just want you to think about it. Why are bridges built? Why are bridges built? Well, if you were just, just to think about it, it's very simple. Obviously, it's going to connect one point to another point, right? But why a bridge? Like, why not a road? Why not, you know, something different? Well, there, why do you have to build a bridge? The reason that a bridge exists is because there's an obstacle, isn't there? There's a barrier of some kind which makes it very difficult, which makes it maybe impossible to get from one side, one point, to the other point, right? And so the bridge becomes absolutely necessary because there is a barrier, there's a problem, there's a conflict, there's, there's an object in the way. Well, the reason I bring this up, as you would imagine, is because it goes into our topic today. We're continuing the At the Movies series and using movies and all that stuff to kind of talk about our topics. But today we're talking about the movie Remember the Titans. Just, just by curiosity, how many of you have seen Remember the Titans? How many of you have seen that movie? Okay, we got, I'd say the majority, two-thirds of us. That's, that's cool. I, di I really didn't know. I've seen the movie. I love the movie. Um, but, but a lot of us in here have seen it. So let me just give you kind of a quick synopsis of what it's about. So the Remember the Titans is all about a football team. 
But not just any football team. It's a football team that takes place in the state of Virginia in the late 60s, early 70s, when the school districts decided to integrate across the races. All right, cross racial boundaries, and instead of having everybody separate, they're going to integrate the schools. Well, in Virginia at this time, that means in the fall, which is when school starts, and so football starts at the end of the summer, the football team was forced to become a team in the midst of this racial racism hatred stuff, right? And so now they have to play football together, which I don't know if you've noticed is somewhat of an aggressive sport. And they're forced to do this with this intensity of emotion, this intensity of tradition that I would say is obviously not healthy. And they are forced to come together and and be a unified team and play this game together, whereas in all of history up to this time, everybody that's ever known this, who's making these decisions, they have been separate. So now, the first question I have to ask as we go into this movie is this. Because remember, the Titans is all about this topic. If you watch that movie, if you've, never, you've probably never thought of it this way, but remember, the Titans is all about building bridges, isn't it? Not physical bridges, not water bridges, although those are cool, but about building relational bridges across boundaries, Obstacles. Remember what the reason is for a bridge? It is to cross an obstacle. Something that you can't get across otherwise without a bridge. Remember the Titans is all about building bridges across racial boundaries, across socioeconomic boundaries, across, across faith boundaries, whatever the case is. And the first question, I want to ask three questions today in, in our sermon today. And, and the first question is this, and you might be asking this, why? Why do we need to build bridges? Why is it important to cross boundaries? Why is it important to reach out to people who I don't know, or I'm not sure I don't know who they are, or maybe, you know, whatever the case is, why is it important to build bridges? Well, we could give a lot of answers to that, right? Relationally, why is it important? But I want to give the most important answer. The most important answer is found in God's Word, as you would guess. (laughs) Is that a shocker? No, I don't think so. The most important answer is found in God's Word. So Acts chapter 10 is where we're going to jump into for just a minute. This is a story that we've talked about here at Northridge before. I've actually preached on this story, so we're not going to kind of dive in real deep to the story today. But it's definitely a story that we need to bring out because it really illustrates this point of building bridges very, very powerfully. So let me just kind of set up the story before I read the the passage that we're going to look at. Uh, The Apostle Peter... Remember the guy who, like, literally he was with Jesus every day when Jesus was on the earth, right? He's the, he was that guy, and uh, he, he's the guy that just lives with his heart on his sleeve, and he followed Jesus faithfully. Well, Jesus has now ascended to heaven, and now Peter, it's on Peter's shoulders to lead the charge to reach people for Christ, okay? And so what happens is God comes to Peter in Acts chapter 10, and he tells Peter very, very powerfully, I need you to go from the town you're in, and you're going to go over a a long ways away to this other town. You're going to meet with this guy named Cornelius, right? Uh, Again, if you're looking for names for your children, I'm telling you, the Bible is a great place, okay? I'm just saying. 
And he goes, and he, he's going to have to meet with Cornelius, but he's not just going to have to talk with him like for an hour or meet for him for coffee or something. He's actually going to go to Cornelius' house, and he's going to share the love of Christ with him, and he's going to actually stay with him and his wife and his, and his kids and his family. He's going to stay in their home. He's going to be a guest in their home for several days. Now, there's a couple of barriers here, right? You would imagine there are because we're talking about bridges. There's a couple of barriers for Peter, okay? Peter is Jewish. Cornelius is something that the Bible calls a Gentile. A Gentile is very simply a term that is used for anybody who's not Jewish. And so Peter has been told by God, you need to go to Cornelius' house, you need to stay with him, and you need to share the love of Christ with him. So that's what Peter knows, okay? And so he has to go to Cornelius' house. The problem is Peter is Jewish Cornelius is a Gentile. He's a non-Jewish person. Now, when I even say that, some of us kind of bristle a little bit because we know like racism is not a good thing, right? We've dealt with this. Like we're, we're still dealing with this. Is there not a more relevant topic, by the way, for our country than today to talk about this? Honestly? Yeah, we're still wrestling with this, aren't we? In this country, in this world. And Peter is supposed to go and stay this house. The problem is that Jewish people did not stay in Gentile houses, and Gentiles did not stay in Jewish houses. You didn't do it. There were a lot of reasons. One was hatred. Racism was one reason. That was probably the biggest reason. But there was other reasons, like, like the Jewish people, they were forbidden to eat certain foods that the Gentiles normally eat. So if they place that food on, your t- on the table, as we know that now, you know, we kind of like, we might pass it off. It might be kind of okay. But I don't know about you, but when somebody sets something, you're a guest in their home and they set it in front of you, you don't balk at it. You don't go, oh, mm, well, mm, I don't know. I don't know about that, but that's, that's not going to go over well. And so they are avoiding each other. They do not spend time in each other's houses for these reasons. But the biggest reason is hatred. Let's be honest about what it was. It was racism. And so Peter has to cross that boundary. It's a big one. Now, the second barrier that's there is Cornelius is a Roman officer. Oh, man, this is deep. The Romans are the ones that conquered Israel. Israel hates the Romans. Very simple. They, they, they were conquered by the Romans, right? It's, it's, it's like another country coming in to conquer your territory and forcing you to live a certain way and forcing you into a different religion and forcing you to do this and you saying, man, I love them. They're just so great. No, the Israelites hate the Romans. They are their enemy. And he's not just a soldier. He's an officer who leads this stuff. And yet God calls Peter and he says, Peter, I need you to go to his house. I need you to be a guest. I need you to hang out with him. I need you to talk with him, his wife, his children. You need to get to know him, and you're going to share the love of Christ with him. And what's really cool is Peter does. He obeys, even though this is a really hard barrier. The Bible does not bring out how difficult this would have been for Peter, but it must have been excruciatingly difficult, really. And he goes, and he stays in the house, and you go, and guess what happens? He shares the love of Christ with Cornelius and his wife and his kids. And, and guess what? Cornelius has invited, because he's like, he's heard Peter's a big deal. 
He doesn't know Peter, but God told Cornelius, like, you need to invite him to your house. And Peter's like, oh, look at that. I just got an invitation. Okay, God, I see what you're doing here, right? And he shows up, and he's there, and Cornelius has invited more of his family. He's invited everybody from the community, and they're all packed into Cornelius' house. And so can you imagine? He's going to be like, okay, I'm going to meet with Cornelius. And he walks in, ba-boom, there's everybody. He's like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, I didn't prepare quite well enough. And so he kind of, he sits down, they start talking, and he shares the love of Christ with them. And guess what? Cornelius and his wife and his kids and everybody he brought in there and everybody in the community that, that was in Cornelius' house, they all give their lives to Christ and they baptize him. And then, isn't that a good day? That's a good day. But Peter says something in the middle of that that is really important. He learns something and he tells us something that's really important. It's a truth. It's a principle about God. And I want to just read this. Acts chapter 10, verse 34 and 35. This is what Peter says. Peter says, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. This is really important. Because as followers of Christ, we need to know how we respond to a lot of things. And so I want to make two kind of key points out of, this, out of this phrase. The first one is this. God's grace extends to every single person that has ever existed. God's grace extends to every person. Now, I want to highlight this for a minute because we say the word grace and a lot of us think of different things. Some of us think we need to pray, right? Let's say grace. What is that? Why do we say, let's say grace? Because grace, let me, let, me, let me just give you a simple definition for grace. We need to all get on the same page as to what grace is, because grace is not necessarily a prayer. Prayer fits into this, but grace is not prayer and prayer is not grace. It's not like synonymous, okay? Grace is the blessing or any blessing of God that is undeserved and unearned, if that makes sense. Anything that is good, that is undeserved and unearned by us, is an example of God's grace. Okay, let me give you just a few examples. Um, Anytime you feel that excitement, I don't know, uh, those of you who are married or those of you who, you know, all all this kind of stuff, we we get this, or for your children or for your family. uh, I just got to spend some time with my extended family. My grandpa just turned 90 and, uh, and so we were in Indiana. We got back late last night. So yes, my eyes are a little like, because uh, I fought Chicago traffic last night. It was fantastic. Um, God's grace, <laughs> right? Um, and, and, and so we spent time with family. And I don't know about you, but I mean, Laura and I came away just, just full because of the love that we got to experience from our family. I saw a cousin on the other side of the family that I hadn't seen in years. And we reconnected with her, and she's got two little girls. Our girls played with our That is an example of God's grace. I did nothing to deserve that, but God made it that way because he loves me, and he loves you. Whenever you get to experience love, you know what that is? That was God's idea. That was God's grace that he gave to you. Undeserved, unearned, just because you were born, you got to experience it. I've used this example. This is a surfacey example, but it's one that's near and dear to my heart. Food. <laughs> Especially cookies, I know, right? 
Food, food, but seriously, and I've made this example many times before here at Northridge. If you think about food, it is very easy, would have been very easy for God to make food just something that we have to do. Like, but I don't know about you, but when, when I even think, when I'm talking about food right now, I just really want to walk off and start eating. Like, that's the honest truth. Like, I start thinking about food and I'm like, man, let's dig into something, right? And, and he made it enjoyable, like when you taste, you know, things that you love, you know, I mean, if you're eating asparagus, you know, that's different, but I'm just kidding. I actually like asparagus, but, but, but it's one of those things that we enjoy doing. I don't know about you, but man, sitting down to a good meal, there's, there's hardly anything like that. God didn't have to make it good. You know what he could have made it? He could have made it on the same level as doing laundry. Oh yeah, that would have been awesome right? Well, I think I have to eat because my body needs it. He could have made it that way. You realize that, right? He could have made eating food just to be something that we have to do, right? But he didn't. He made it something that hits the palate and we go, wow, that tastes good. I want more of that. Now, let's be honest, it gets us into trouble. (laughs) It gets me into trouble, right? But, but that's not because God's grace is not good. His blessing's not good. It is simply because we get it out of balance and we twist it a bit. But God's grace, anything that is good in your life is because God's grace is there. It's because he gave it to you freely. It's undeserved. It's unearned. We haven't done anything to earn it. I did nothing to earn getting to enjoy food. I was just born and therefore it's there. That's God's grace. So God's grace extends to all people. The second key point to that is, and that's what Peter was saying, he says God's grace extends to all people. He shows no favoritism. Everybody gets it, right? It's not like, and I thought about this, this is kind of funny to me. I thought about, okay, somebody comes to Christ and all of a sudden food tastes good. (laughs) Woo, they accepted Jesus. Now guess what? Food is going to taste good for you. It's amazing. You give your life to Jesus and no, he gives grace to everybody. He gives grace to everybody. But there was a second key point to this. And it was the last thing that he said in that, the second part of that. You have to accept the, some parts of the grace that God has offered. Some grace is just given freely and people experience it. But then there's some grace that has to be received. Things like accepting Jesus. Same things like, you know, all those kind of things. Those are the kind of things that you need. I mean, listen to what he says. Let me read it one more time at the very end of this. He says, I see very, very clearly that God shows no favoritism. And then listen to what he says. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. It does not say that God accepts everybody. Did you hear me? It does not say that God accepts everybody. Does God's grace extend to everybody? Oh, yes, it does. Does God love everybody? Absolutely, more than you can even fathom. But there are certain parts of his grace that he says, I'm not going to force this upon you. You must choose it because I love you. And so it is this grace goes to everybody, every person, But then there's also this response that's needed. If I have the greatest gift that I could ever give to you, and I say, listen, I have this gift. (laughs) I promise it's going to change your life. All you need to do is believe that I have it and come receive it. 
if you never come get that gift, it's not going to be a blessing to you. You never receive the grace. Does this make sense? And this is what Jesus has offered. He has offered grace freely to every person on the planet. Some will accept it. Some will not. But what it is for us to decide, guess what? You know what our role is? Our role is to build as many bridges as possible to as many people as possible so that they can walk across that bridge. But you know what we need to do? We need to create the bridge and we need to walk across the bridge first. We don't, we don't shout about Jesus, hey, you need to find Jesus or else you know you're going to a bad place. We don't shout at him from across the chasm. We go across the bridge. We build the bridge and we go across the bridge and we hang out with them and we find, and let them know, hey, we love you. And the reason we love you is because we're taught to love you and we're commanded to love you and because you have value in God's eyes and you have value in my eyes. And I'm here. I'm going to cross this bridge. I built this bridge for you. And so we have these, these opportunities. So why build the bridges? Is it important? It's critical. Why? Because God is a builder of bridges. He is. He, that's the whole point of Jesus, right? Jesus is not only an expression of that, he is the bridge. You have no hope of getting to God except through Jesus. The Bible is very clear about that. So why build bridges? Because God does. So the second question is this. Okay, why build bridges? We answer that. Second question is this. What keeps us from building bridges? What keeps you and I from spanning and going across racial boundaries, across socioeconomic boundaries, across faith boundaries, across people that maybe they just act different than you do, right? I don't know. Here, let me give you an example. My brother and I are just radically different people. He is one of those, I've shared this before, he is one of those that jumps out of the plane and then realizes, oh, I probably should have grabbed a parachute. <laughs> Man. And, and, and he just, but, but it's not like stupidity. I'm serious, it's not. It's boldness and courageous to just try things. He just, let's do it. Me, I'm like, man, all right, have we tested the parachute? I want to see the parachute open. All right, very good. Let's pull the ripcord. Now, have we checked the emergency ripcord? <laughs> I'm just, you know, and, and then I test it, and I try it a few times, and I go tandem like 1,200 times, and, you know, all that kind of stuff, and then I'm ready to jump, right? That's just, I'm being honest about my personality. I get it. So sometimes those people, if you're on one side or the other, they scare us, don't they? The people who, the people who are too safe if we're bold. The people who are too bold if we're safe. Whatever the barrier, there's 100,000 barriers, we need to cross those barriers. So why, now the question becomes, what keeps us from building bridges? The, the answer is fear. The answer is fear. Fear keeps us from building bridges. In fact, I don't know about you, but maybe you've never thought about this, but if you make decisions based on the people who are around you and what they may or may not think about you, you are basing your decision on something much lower than God. And now we all know this is true. We all know we should not make decisions based on the people and what they only think around us. Now, should we get advice? I'm not saying like, so I should never consult people. No, I'm not saying that at all. Like, I do that constantly. 
No, seek advice from people. They, a lot, people have great wisdom, and a lot of times God uses those people to speak truth into your life. Absolutely do that. I'm saying when you are making a decision based only on what you think they might feel or what they want you to do, then that is a problem. Now, we know this as parents, because, right? Because when our kids come to you and say, well, you know, why did you throw that rock through the window? Well, everybody else was throwing rocks at the window, and, and so I thought I, you know, I just, I threw the rock. I didn't know, I didn't want it to break, but I threw the rock. And right, right, right away we say, well, if they jumped off a cliff, would you do that too? Right? I mean, because logically that makes sense. We all know this is the wrong way to go. Let me just be honest. Adults in the room, we call our children on that. Are you living that? No, I'm serious. Just think about it for a minute. When you're around certain people, do you change how you act and who you are based on who you are around or who's in the room? Well, you're doing the same thing. No, you may not be breaking windows, but you're doing the same thing. You see how this works? It is a condition of all for all of us. And we need to stop fearing people. In fact, Proverbs 29, 25 says this. It says, fearing people is a dangerous trap. But trusting the Lord means safety. The truth is, even the apostles had problems with this. Remember Peter? I just used him as a great example. Let me use him again as a terrible example. <laughs> okay? No, seriously. He, he, Peter was not perfect. Remember, Peter's the guy that denied Jesus three times in a row. He said, I will die for you, Jesus. And then he denies him three times. And Jesus said he was going to do it. Peter lived passionately, and sometimes he messed up. Well, he, in this case, he messed up. He was a hypocrite, literally a hypocrite. And the apostle Paul, of course, Paul, Paul calls him out. Because Paul and Peter, I don't know if, you've, if you read the Bible for any length of time, man, those guys, sometimes, <laughs> it was just like, bam, bam, bam. They loved Jesus, and they loved each other, but sometimes it was just like sandpaper. And so Paul does, he's correct in this case, and it's recorded in the Bible. I love how God records even the weaknesses. And, and Paul calls him out. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians 2, starting verse 11. This is Paul talking about Peter. He says, but when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face. He's just saying I, I confronted him. That's what he means by that. I confronted him. For what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers. Remember, he learned that from Cornelius. This is after that. Okay, he learned that from the Cornelius thing. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterwards, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism, fear, fear. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy. Paul doesn't mince words, as you can see. And even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Even Paul calls out Barnabas because Paul and Barnabas were like, they, were, they worked together in tandem a lot. It was kind of like Paul was going and Barnabas was on staff, right, with them. I mean, these guys were tight. And he says, even Barnabas was led astray by your hypocrisy, Peter. You're acting different depending on who is in the house. That is wrong. Paul calls him out on it, and he was right to do so. Fear of people is a trap. 
And so I want to ask you this question. And I want you to wrestle with it. I hope it keeps you up. Because if this is an issue, because I'll be honest, I tend to be a people pleaser, therefore this is a tendency for me. I know I sometimes call myself out, but I'm, I'm serious. This, is, this can be a problem for me. I have dealt with this problem before because I love people desperately and because I love to be with people. So I hate conflict. But sometimes I've done wrong because of it. And so my question to you is, are you the same faithful person, lover and follower of Christ, regardless of who's in the room? Are you consistent? If I walked into your life, if Jesus walked into your life at any moment, would he find that you're the same person that we all see on Sunday morning? That's a good litmus test, isn't it? It keeps us from building bridges because we fear people more than we fear God. That is wrong. And we need to change it. Well, let me give you an illustration of this. Remember the uh, movie, Remember the Titans. Well, the whole movie is about building bridges. The whole movie, they're, they're, they're in conflict. There's hatred toward each other because of their different races and ethnicities and all that stuff. And so by the end of the movie, they have built so many bridges. It's just awesome. It's a great movie. Highly encourage you to see it if you haven't. Um, but by the end, one of the biggest bridges that is built is between Gary Bertier, who is the captain of the football team, right, and Julius Campbell. And at the beginning of the movie, they hate each other. They're both like big-time defensive football players, and so they're, they, but they hate each other, partly because of the racism, partly because of you know, the whole football position thing. But they hate each other. Guess what? By the end of the movie, they're great friends. And just so you know, this is a true story. Uh, even up to the point where Gary Pertier is not with us anymore. He died years ago. But up until the point that he was killed in a car accident, Gary Pertier and Julius Campbell were friends for life. Really cool. But in this scene, it's a hospital scene, and Gary Pertier has just been hit. This is actually the first accident they had. The second one killed him. The first accident they had paralyzed him from the waist down. And Gary Bertier, this football player, is laying in the hospital bed. And guess who he asked for? He asked for Julius to come in and visit him. And so see this scene. And the reason I show you this scene is because Gary Bertier is going to say something very important. He tells Julius why he hated him. He's going to tell him why he hated him. Take a look. Only Ken's allowed in here. Alice, are you blind? Don't you see the family resemblance? That's my brother. Camaro. Man, I sure am sorry, man. I should have been there with you. What 
are you talking about? You would have been in the bed right next to me. You can't be hurt like this. You, you Superman. I was afraid of you, Julius. I only saw what I was afraid of. And I don't know, I was only hating my brother. <laughs> I tell you what, though. Um, when all this is over, and you gonna move out the same neighborhood together, okay? And um, we'll get old, we'll get fat, and ain't gonna be all this black white between us. <laughs> Left side, strong side. Notice what he said. He said, I was afraid of you, Julius. We don't admit it. It would take, even, even in the midst of this sermon, it would be hard for some of us to admit. But a lot of us live in fear of people on the other side of some barrier. It could be race. It could be faith. It could be they're crazy, they jump out of planes. Whatever it is. But we all have barriers. And God has called us to build bridges. To do what we can to reach people with the love of Christ. Not just to hang out, but to reach them with the love of Christ. Last question that I have for you today. How do we build bridges? Because we need to know why. We need to know what keeps us from doing it, but we need to know how. Well, there's a lot of bridges out there, right? In fact, I have some pictures. We have, we have arch bridges, right? We have like old stone arch bridges. We have uh, truss bridges, the prettiest ones, obviously, we have, uh, this is a flying bridge. Have you ever seen that? It's in the Netherlands. It's called the flying bridge. I mean, they, they literally put that, that bridge piece, that square piece of road on a hinge. You can go to the Netherlands, see this, and it, and it literally swings it up, kind of pulls it up and then swings it sideways. It's called the flying bridge, uh, but, it, but it works, and, and it's, ships can go through, and then they can drop it back down. It's really fast, too. Like, you know, where you don't have to sit there and watch the thing come up and go back down. It's, it's really quick. And this is the Helix Bridge, which is a pedestrian bridge in Singapore. Really cool. I kind of want to go there. The point is this, guys. There are a lot of types of bridges. There's a lot of ways to build bridges. But here's, let me give you the things that are absolutely required to build a bridge. And no, I'm not talking physically anymore. Time, money or resources, and effort. It's going to require your time, it's going to require your resources, and it's going to require some effort on your part. If I were to just add two words together, in other words, bridge building would require intentionality plus action. What, what do I need to do and why do I need to do it combined with I'm going to do it? 
And you know what I see the problem is? Usually most people get one side of this equation. Now, I'm not a math guy, but I get at least this. <laughs> if you don't have one side of the equation, you're not going to get the answer. Okay? And so some people, they have the intentionality. They get the why. They, they, you know, they do this. Some people get the action. But some people, they just go do stuff. And they don't know why. They're like, oh, well, we're doing stuff. Ooh, we're getting things done. What are you getting done? I don't know, but we're getting things done. Right? They're the ones that are just running around crazy, right? And, and, and then there's some people, though, that are on the other side of that. They get the why, but they never do anything. They're the ones that talk a big game, but when it comes down to it, they're not willing to build bridges. I'm not willing to sacrifice my time or my money or my energy to do that. It takes time, resources, and effort. Listen to what Paul has to say about this dynamic. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, Even though I am a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. Notice his purpose, the why that he answers in here. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the, the Jews to Jesus, to Christ. And when I was with those who follow the Jewish law, I too lived under that law. Even though I am not subject to the law, I did this so I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. When I'm with the Gentiles I, who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from that law so I can bring them to Christ. But listen to this. This is the key. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. When I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find what? Common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news. He's answering the why. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. We need to find common ground. We can't give in and compromise what God's Word says. So don't take it to be, yeah, I can just go get wasted because everybody else is getting wasted and I'm building bridges. <laughs> Woohoo! give me another one. <laughs> building bridges, pastor told me to do it. <laughs> don't claim my name on that. <laughs> no, no, no. No, but we are called to build bridges short of breaking the commands of Christ. You do not give in to this. You do not give in to this. If they are living contrary to this, it doesn't mean you join them in that. Do you still bid the bridge? Yes, you do. Do you join them in that sin? No, you do not. In fact, that's the whole point of building the bridge, is to help them see, hey, there's a whole different way and better way. But you're not going to do that by preaching at them. Hey, you are messed up over there. You should probably come over here. I don't know how you're going to get there, but you should come over this way. No, we build a bridge. We get there. I want to show you one more clip from Remember the Titans. Julius Campbell and Gary Bertier, you know how they became friends? You know how they became good friends? It's because their coach forced them, commanded them, called them up to a higher standard. He said, you will build bridges. Now, he didn't say it that way. He was, he was in the lunchroom, in the cafeteria room, and they're at training camp. So this is the first time that all these guys are playing football together. And, and I, I just want to show this clip, and it's only a few seconds, but listen to what their coach, played by Denzel Washington, 
Listen to what their coach tells them that they are going to do. And the whole reason is, even though he doesn't say the word bridge in there at all, is to build bridges. Watch this, see what he says. Each one of you will spend time every day with a teammate of a different race. You will learn about him and his family, his likes, his dislikes. You'll report back to me until you meet every one of your teammates. Until that time, we go to three-a-day practices. You continue to ignore each other, we'll go to four-a-day practices. <laughs> That's a good coach. As a coach, I'm like, yeah, get him. Get him. Make him run sprints, too. A lot of us in here have allowed barriers to keep us from doing what Jesus wants us to do. You just need to be real and admit it. Admit that you're scared. Admit that you don't like to. Admit that you don't want to. Just admit it and then get to building the bridges. Because God has called you to do it. Call somebody for lunch. Invite them over for the grill. Listen, we're going into summer, right? This is like when we actually see people in Wisconsin, <laughs> right? I mean, I'm serious. Like some of you forgot your neighbor's names, <laughs> right? Because it's been seven months of like, hey, Bill, <laughs> right? Close the door. Get in. My goodness, it's freezing out there, right? I mean, I get it. So now we're in summer. So here's, here's the key serious point. You guys are going to spend time boating and hiking and camping, and you're going to sports tournaments, and you're going to grill out, and you're going to invite people over, and you're going to go to the pool, and you're going to do all that. Listen, hear me on this. Do not spend the next three months recreating and hanging out and having a beer together and don't bring up the love of Christ and invite them to church or do something that builds a bridge with the love and grace and forgiveness of Jesus. We should see, I'm serious, now I get passionate about this, we should see in the summer and then on the fall, we should see droves of people all of a sudden just show up from nowhere. Why? Because we have loved them with the love of Christ like crazy when we've been boating and hiking and grilling out and all that kind of stuff. And they realize these people are different. I need that. If you're just recreating this summer, shame on you. Shame on you. Seriously, shame on you. I'm glad you recreate. I'm not against boating. I'm going to go boating. I'm going to go hiking. I'm going to jump in the water. I'm going to do all those things. But when the opportunity arises, and sometimes you need to create the opportunity, if you don't, again, shame on you. You need to share the love of Christ. Build the bridge. See who you can... You're going to invite the people that you like to the grill, to the cookout. I know that, right? I get that. Invite that family that you haven't gotten to meet yet. And just maybe you might find out about a little something about them. And guess what? They might ask about you, and then you can share the love of Christ with them. How awesome would that be? You've got three months of really good weather. Well, it's kind of hot, but what are you going to do? We'll take it. A few mosquitoes. Use this to build bridges to the lives and share the love and the grace that God has given to you. Make sure to share it with those around you, especially new ones, people you don't know. And let's see what God does through us.
Are you willing to build some bridges? I hope you are. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for being a bridge builder. I thank you, God, for showing us the way, not just telling us what to do, but you showed us what to do. You gave us your son, Jesus, to be the bridge between us and you. You came over to us and said, trust me, this is what you need. Help us to do the same. Help us to do nothing, everything that we have to share the love of Christ with those around us. And may we see lives changed as a result. Make us bridge builders. I pray this and I ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.